Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member-owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Hello and welcome back to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op. For this episode, I have traveled up to Guthrie, Kentucky, to the Kentucky-Tennessee Livestock Market to talk to Mr. Tom and Stephanie Barnett. The Barnetts own and operate the livestock market here and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to them and learn more about what's going on here. So Tom and Stephanie, first thing, appreciate y'all letting me come up here and take the time to do this. So y'all, this perfectly normal people, just about everybody asked me before we do this, what are you going to ask me? But I left out, I didn't, I specifically didn't mention the first question because I didn't want you to think about it too much, but I am a sucker for love stories. So I've always wondered how y'all met, you got married, you know, you're working together every day at this business. So I, what, what happened, Stephanie? Did you get a flat tire out here and Tom came out there and changed the tire and that's how y'all fell in love or how had all this come about with each other? Actually, I was working at Montgomery Farmers Co-op and um, at the time Tom Bigger was there who is now at Cheatham on uh, Robertson, but um, there was three people, a customer and a friend of, of their families, Tom Bigger, and then his cousin, Laura Hadley, who was trying to hook me up with this guy. I was single. I was fine. I didn't need a boyfriend. Um, I was good. I was like 21, maybe, and working, going to school at Austin P. and come to find out they were trying to set me up all three people with the same guy. Did they did they know they were doing that? No. Or was that just coincidence? This was coincidence. Okay. So everybody was trying to set me up with the same Tom Barnett. And the names really didn't come up. Laura just said, I got a cousin. That's my cousin. I know who that is. Um, when, when we started talking about who other people were trying to set me up with. And then... Um, Tom Bigger, just he had mentioned it, and, and then the customer as well, Mr. Bobby, he had mentioned it. And so I was like, well, if all three of y'all think this is a good idea, maybe because I, for like, I don't know, six months, a year, I was like, no, I'm good. So actually, we went on a blind date with a group of people, his, uh, my brother-in-law now and sister-in-law, Will, his brother, and Sarah, and some friends went to O'Charlie's uh, the weekend of the CPH sale, he didn't say much. He was tired in December of 2006. And I didn't think he talked because he was barely eating his steak and keeping his eyes open because he had been here um, for three days. So that was back when they were having huge runs. So, yeah, we have a weird blind date. But it, you have three people unknowingly trying yes. to set you up with the same guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a blind date. Of course, it wasn't just y'all two, so there was like a buffer there as far as potential yes. awkwardness that could take place. It's oh, it was always, a table full, yeah. That, that's always good. That's yes. always good. So, Tom, were you aware of this, that everybody was trying to get y'all set up? I was not aware. No, no, I wasn't. I I, I think uh, Bobby Smith was uh, the other family friend that we went to church with that uh, was trying to get all that put together, and then uh, – my my cousin Laura Hadley was also a friend of Stephanie's. Was a friend of Stephanie's and a cousin of mine. And uh, I, I was not aware of all that 
behind the scenes because I didn't work. You know, Stephanie and Tom Bigger worked together at the time, and I knew Tom well from being around here, but I didn't work there so at co-op. So I was outside of that loop a little bit. But uh, like she said, we went to, on that first date, and as they say, the rest is history. So you went on the first date. You were very tired, which is understandable considering, you know, the CPA mm-hmm. cell up here. Uh, what- at that time, it was a lot bigger than it is now. You know, everything was, you know, the, the number amount of animals you handle were, you know, it's, it's a lot more significant than it would be. That was pre-2007 drought, so it was a lot more animals around. Right, right, which means uh, consecutive days up here. So you were tired, understandably. So y'all committed to a second date? Was it just was it just y'all two at that point? Yeah. Well, we went to a basketball game, I think, was our second date. We went to a, a Joe Burns basketball game her she had a cousin that was playing it i think her cousin uh would have been uh would have been justin justin yeah. would have been brookshire would have been playing ball there basketball hmm. joe burns we went to a uh basketball game oh, the, so the brookshire's are your yes your my aunt um amanda uncle bruce uh is and amanda brookshire is my dad's sister so yes because stephanie you're originally from robertson county yes and Tom and your family are from the, the Clarksville area, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Y'all had no idea I was going to interrogate you about oh. your love life, did you? <laughs> you know, but I got to know. I've always wondered. I've never asked y'all before. It was a blind date, and we dated for uh, until we went on our first date in December of 2006, and we got engaged in July of 2007 and married in 2008, July of 2008. Okay, so your 10 year was 2018, 1921, two, three. 16 years? It'll be 16 years, 16, yeah. 16 this summer. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, y'all. That's Thank a, you. That's 16 years. That is a long time to yeah. be married. Does it seem like it? it no. Uh-uh. Uh, but no, it really doesn't. Especially not since we uh, ha- got our little girl. Yeah. Whenever you have a small one, you stay awake for most of the day, so it makes the time pass. <laughs> time passes quicker. Yes, it does. It, it really does when, when you have kids. I don't know scientifically what that is but it's like it, it's well you're up. awake for a lot more of the day than you were before so it, <laughs> it you just see more of the day yeah yeah that's i've seen a whole lot more of the last three years than i saw of the previous 36 because you're awake for more of it but yeah. isn't it amazing you just don't know what you don't know that's right you know? well i've always wanted to ask y'all that but i'm thinking well tom's in here in the scale room trying to get everything weighed and that'd probably be awkward if i asked him that now how so. we met yeah, yeah and we yeah. have a weird story yeah it's not a traditional and it and we didn't date long, and then we got married. So. You know, we've got these romantic kind of uh, fairy tale ideas about how it should be, like the movies, like the Notebook, you know. But shoot, my wife and I, we met on Christian Mingle. There's nothing romantic about it whatsoever. Yeah. You know what I mean? He actually proposed to me while we were both in work clothes. We were it was in July. It was hot. In in his, we were in the truck. He just hands it over to me. So it wasn't some. But it's perfectly fine. Yeah, well, hey, yeah. it's, it's appropriate for what y'all do. On that's right. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's, that's, uh, hey, I think that's romantic in itself, it sounds <laughs> like. So, obviously, Stephanie, you married into the Barnett family. Tom, your family has owned the stockyard since and I've interviewed your dad on here. That would have been, what, the 70s? 1978, I think, is Se- when he bought, is when he became into the business here. 78. 1978, yes. So, you know, when, the stockyards here, the way y'all operate, the way I understand it, it's a it's a all hands on deck kind of family affair where the majority of, of the Barnetts are, are involved in some way. What is y'all's 
role here? I, I'm sure you wear more than one hat here, but on a on a regular Thursday, what's it look like here for y'all? I guess. Well, I guess this is two two part. I'll let you go first. Um, on Thursday, uh, well, I, I sort of took over. Used to, I would have been if Dad was if Dad was happened to be out of town. Uh, Dad does the grading, right? At, you know, at this time, and uh, there's another guy that works here that does it. If if he can't do it at the time, or, or I can't, or I do, one of us three is the only three people that that do that job. Um, I, I've since uh, since we had a little changing of hands, uh, I've sort of taken on the weighmaster role where I'm in the scale house now doing the weighing. Uh, that's been a different uh, a different different for me. I've always been used to sort of being out in the barns, you know, instead of being right there. Uh, it's it's a different kind of different kind of job maybe than I've been used to. Uh, but we get started in the morning. Uh, it all just depends on how many come in the day before. Uh, generally, it's not after six. It's usually between four and six when we get started uh, weighing the cattle from that come in on Wednesday, uh, and we're right back there uh, till we get through. You know, try to be done by one one thirty if we can, because there's people like you say you don't understand the the process of getting from when that animal gets unloaded to get it actually ready to be sold. You know, there's a whole process in between the time the last one is, uh, you know, every animal in this barn that is graded, which would probably be 90%, everyone is counted and moved to a different location where it started. That way we can have a sale. So, and that process is all done in about an hour. And it's, you know, it, it, so, I mean, it, it takes a lot, it, it's a lot of moving parts there. And, and it, it is somebody that doesn't, it, to us, sometimes we become numb to it because we do it every week, but it really, it really is when you sit down and think about all the moving parts and different things that ha- that happen in a short amount of time, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. Oh, it, it blows my mind when I actually stop and think about it to the point where it kind of gives me anxiety. Uh, <laughs> cause it's, I mean, it can it does. be, I imagine it's chaotic at times. But, you know, obviously, when you say grading, that's basically, you know, the, the categorization, mm-hmm. it, to put it simply, of where mm-hmm. the animals stand with each other and you want to mm-hmm. put them in similar groups and whatnot. Yeah, the bigger, you know, the bigger group you, that he's making right there, uh, the better, you know, most time the better, uh, the buyer, it's easier for a buyer, you know, a buyer can come to my sale at and not have to sit here. You know, a lot of sales that weigh out, and there's good and bad about all of it. I'm not going to sit here and put down one and put up another, but one good thing about going a buyer coming to a graded sale is he can come in here, he knows what he wants when he gets here most of the time or what he has an order for. He can get my sheet and go over it in 10 minutes and know what I have that he wants. And if there's nothing on there that he wants, he can turn around and go home because he doesn't have to sit there all day to make sure he knows to see what's going to come in. Right. It, he can go over it right there, and yeah, you know, it's pretty attractive to people. It, it's, so it's very accommodating to them because they can look at it. It's bam, it's right there in front of them, which obviously, in theory, would attract more buyers, which right. is going to be good for it, everybody. If you have, a, if you're at a way out sale where you're just buying what comes in the ring, you don't. You could walk around the barn, I guess, before the sale started and have an idea, but you don't know how many 400-pound heifers are there that day mm-hmm. because you just have to buy them as they come in. Whereas when you come to my sale and you get a graded sheet, you know, you can look up and it's right 
Yeah. It's right there. In comparison to other livestock markets, because I'm I'm naive. I mean, y'all were the only ones I, we do business with, obviously. Is that an anomaly when you look at others throughout the state of the southeast? There's a little vicious, they're not vicious, but there's a little circle of graded sales right here, kind of. The further north, pretty much the further north you go, you run out of them. And, the, and in the south, especially. But, you know, there is like a little circle with us and, you know, a few right here in this area. There's probably, I can think of, I mean, of course, we own the operate the livestock market at Cross Plains and we grade there as well. So, our two, I'd say there's probably five or six markets that will grade cattle, weigh in and grade cattle. like, And that's just, that's just, I could, if I sat here and said them all, I could name them all, but. There's probably six in this area, you know, in in a hundred mile, some mile radius that that grade cattle weigh in and grade cattle like we do, and that's about it, really. Well, I think either when I was talking to your dad when we did this a couple years ago, or maybe I read it on y'all's website, where originally, when that idea was adopted, it what people, you know, the naysayers like, ah, it's not going to be efficient or, or what have you. They were they they didn't think it would be practical. It's very labor intensive. That's my you know, uh, you know, you have to. It does make for a faster sale. You know, uh, an auctioneer, you know, an auctioneer at a way out sale, he earns his money. I mean, not to say Kent doesn't. He's a very good auctioneer and he does us a really good job. But at a way out sale, you know, it's all day. It's all day, and they they're sort of determining setting the cattle in for what they're worth. They have to look at the animal and determine it, and then start it. When he sells, when the auctioneer comes to my graded sale, you know, he he has to do that with some of it, but with 60% of the sale, he sort of knows what he's, you know, he doesn't have, we don't even run some of those cattle, a lot of those number one black cattle through. They're just being sold off what they knows on that sheet. And he doesn't really have to, so, you know, his job's a lot easier. Those but, those larger pens, to add to that, the, the stress, to get the stress off of them, because everybody knows what they are. We stopped a few years ago running some of them bigger pens through because it's just added stress. So everybody knows what it is. They really didn't look at them anyway. They didn't have to. So um, when he said they don't run some of them through, that's that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. some animal handling, some stuff like that. And I would imagine the the implementation of this when y'all first did it, it probably, it, I'm sure it was difficult at first, but now y'all been doing it so long and you've built these relationships with your buyers and your customers to where it's really more than pays for itself, you know the the and you say labor intensive. Is it more mentally labor intensive? No, it's just that you have to go through the process. Like at a at a way out sale, you'll unload your cattle. I mean that process is the same and fill out a ticket, but they just put those cattle in a pen, and pretty much when that they might sort off the way cows, the slaughter cows and bulls. They might sort them off and test cows that need to be pregnancy tested. If you just brought in a load of feeders, you know, at my place, you have to get them unloaded, and then we take them up and sort the steers and bulls and heifers apart, then take them to the scale and grade them in their graded pens. At a way-out sale, you just sit there and wait for your turn to sell. And they run them in there either one at a time, or they might make, if you've got three head that match, and they have somebody that's working out the door that's pretty good at kind of putting them together, kind of like Dad does, basically, they might you might get to sell a little package, but uh, you know most of it, but most of those sales will start at you know my sale starts at around two thirty in the afternoon. A lot of those start at somewhere between eight and ten o'clock in the morning. 
So, you know, it's, it makes for a lot longer sale, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not as much. It We have to sort of handle them twice because mm. we have to go through them and grade them, and then we sell them. Whereas the other, you know, there might be a longer sale day, but they're, you know, the cattle get sort of, you know, it's just a first one, a different. It makes a shorter day for the buyers and a longer day for the help instead of, Sure. Vice versa. You know, I mean, that's just sort of the way it, you know, uh, it's, it's, but it also, I think it, uh, it has benefited the, our customers because it gives them a little more marketing power. You know, they get to sell cattle to buyers that want big groups mm-hmm. and they don't have to worry about if they, you know, if you've got five head of cattle that are really good, they're going to go with somebody else that had really good cattle that day. They're not going to be left out by themselves. Exactly. Which in theory, it ups the chances of them getting, getting a better premium. It should anyway. And if I'm a buyer, no, that's attractive to me. I can look at that sheet and say, well, this is this is what I'm looking for right here instead of having to wait. And you don't have to worry about, especially if you're buying cattle for somebody from, if you're buying for, if I'm buying for somebody that's 10 miles away, if he would take 50 head, but he only gets 10, that's okay. But if I have a guy that's 510 miles away and we get started and we just end up with 10 head, that's not going to work. Right. So, having that graded sheet there, I can look at it and I can say, you know, we're going to be in a bad trap if we try to get started with this pen and don't get these bought. You know, we might need to think about not doing that because it might not work. Um, So, you know, that's rather than sitting there and getting halfway through the sale and figuring out you're not, you don't have a 15 head and you either got to start giving a lot more or or, or just trying to back up and punt and try to get somebody else to use the 15 you've bought or something. I'll add, these buyers start calling at like 9, 10 in the morning. So, uh, you know, we may only have, just say, he's after the 550 weight heifers, number one blacks in pen 74. We may only have 16 weight in there at that time at 9 a.m., but they they constantly watch it through the day. What, are you, what have you got here? What can I put together? So they're already putting it together that morning. Um, and they, they just kind of get on scale for, so the buyers actually start calling and we start giving group numbers pretty early during the day. So it, it seems like it's a puzzle. It could be a puzzle. It times. is, I guess it is on the buyer. Yes, it is. And I, I, maybe that's part of the fun of it. Like a cha- it, it seems like it'd be a challenge, you know, someday or it, as far as like, uh, you know, f- if you got four Thursdays in a month, do they all typically look the same? Like, is there a pattern to it, or do you just never know what you're going to come up with? Every Thursday routine is the same. Every routine is the same. It doesn't matter if we have – I've said that a thousand times to people, like, oh, well, this week's going to be easy, or this week's going to be – you're going to be slow. Well, we may be. We may only have 500 head, but the routine is the same. We still get up at the same time. We still get them weighed. We, it's just not as hectic. Sure. So the routine, the same things we have to go through, no matter what, we still can't start the sale till two thirty because that's when the buyers know to be here, and you know, so this sale might be shorter, but the amount of head doesn't change the routine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like we yeah. still have to. It's still the same routine. It's still counting the pins. It's still getting everything printed. It's still getting the sale in order. It's still, you know, it's still the routine is the same. That never changed. Very rarely. It, that change the routine is the same and just you know you you're going to react to things maybe a little bit differently depending on yes. you know if a wrench gets thrown yes in the plan well, what you cattle get out that happens so. <laughs> and i'm glad you said that because <laughs> one of my questions was 
I had a neighbor, I think it was last year. He, I think he was waiting in line one day, and I don't know if he, he didn't have his, the gate on his trailer secured like it should, and he had some calves or cow get out and was running around out here. Does that happen frequently? No, I'm not talking about from an error on y'all's part, just but just people waiting in line. Maybe they get out and they're fooling with their trailer. And- yes. Yeah, I mean, not, I wouldn't say frequently. What, three or four times a year? Maybe not. Maybe a couple. You know, yeah. it's 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 not as more than you. That stuff like that happens more than you would think it should. But it seems like when it does happen, you get to thinking about it. You're like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had to fool with this last time. So, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's just you know when you're just you know when you're at home loading your cattle and handling your cattle, don't be in a hurry. If I would just say that, you know, don't understand that it's a it, it it's we'll be here. And we'll do our best to take care of you, and don't be in such a hurry that you don't forget dot, to lock your that, gate. That you don't dot your T's and cross, <laughs> you know, you know, dot your eyes and cross your T's. I, I mean, because one little it ta- it would take literally like two minutes or or five minutes to walk around your trailer, start at the front, make sure your your hitch your hitch whether it's a gooseneck or a, or a bumper, make sure it's secure. Go around, feel your trailer tires on both sides, and look at your back gate. Literally would take like five minutes that I have seen would save people several thousand dollars a and a whole day or two's time of trying to get back. And so, you know, that's just something to think about. You know, just just take your time. It, it's easy to get lackadaisical, if, especially if it's something you do so frequently, like, ah, it'll be all right. And then before you know it, you didn't latch the trailer door. Uh Y'all had a Tom. If you need to take a phone call, by all means. No, I'm fine. Uh, y'all had a guy. I, I, he's an old fella. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. I, I think it was a cross plane. I don't know if he was a pin hooker or what he is, but he gave me a chain one time, just a you know foot and a half link of chain. That was Lawrence Smith. Lawrence Smith. Lawrence Smith. He, Lawrence Smith. He's passed away since, but yes, I, I use it every time, just as an insurance policy on your trailer. Door. Lawrence Smith chain. Uh, That's it, what we they're, call them. They're em. worth a lot. There's a, there's <laughs> several. We've got several of them around. He he made those. He made and sold those for years. He worked up there. He worked two or three different uh, stockyards around uh, throughout the week, and he worked there on Monday and. Uh, he made those chains and sold them. To pe- I mean, people would call them Lawrence chains, and they're the. I mean, <laughs> they've got I, a I name. Promise, they really do. We have they're, several. They're famous in this part of the world. So um, hang on to it. It's a relic. You know, I don't know <laughs> if it was twenty five dollars or thirty five dollars for a bucket. He'd give you a bucket a of bucket. chains. Yeah, and uh, I've they're never, handy. I've never forgotten that. So they're handy. Was really kind of him to do because I, I use it every day. But he now, was a top notch guy. Yeah. The fact that it's got a name, Lawrence, I can't yeah. wait to use it. Lawrence Chains. And Lawrence Chains. That's right. Now they're they're everywhere. They they have been there in you know. There's guys that they've got them all over the place. Bought those chains from Mister Lawrence. And it's it's so simple, but barring uh, you know something horrible happening and the trailer door coming open, the fact you got a little chain on there, they, it's just a little extra peace of mind. It is. But I always wondered, you know, when you have some get out loose here in the parking lot, do the Cowboys out back, do they love that? Just Oh, yes. It, we have some good ones, though. They they will usually get us caught, get us, get the animals safe. If it if it, we have had to put them down, if it is going to cause harm, I've had the cops here in Guthrie. We are on first-name basis. Um there's there's times when it is a danger to the public because there is a playground right over here across this field in the the softball baseball field. If it's a danger to public, because typically if they're out, they're usually not the gentlest animal. Right. 
And not all the time, but most of the time. And so there have been times where when it's, uh, we had one down here at um, the liquor store, get in the parking lot. And I was, that was, you know, and I, I just didn't want it to hurt someone. And he was not a friendly guy. Right. So um, there's times that we have to do that. We don't like to do that. Um, but we do not want the general public hurt. Sure. But for the most part, our our barn has been looked at and we've had... Um, Lots of safety audits, and we've passed a lot of those. So um, there's three to four times a year is where, but most of them we get back in before anybody ever knows right, it. So. Right. Well, you know, if I was thinking, if I was one of those cowboys in the back, just to break up the monotony, it'd probably be, that's a little bit more exciting. Oh, yeah. there's Yeah, we have some really skilled guys that work back there, and the ones that get out generally, um, if they get out on a Thursday – Especially here lately, I'd say about ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of the time, they're caught within an hour or less, or thirty minutes of being out. Uh, now, if one gets out on Wednesday, see, we don't really have those guys. You know, on Thursday, they're back there sitting there. You know, horses, ropes, they're sitting there. All you got to do is open the gate, let them out in the parking lot, and it's done. On Wednesday, uh, sometimes that's not all sitting here, so you have to call get somebody down here. Sometimes those animals don't get captured quite as quick if they do happen to get out but you know thankfully we're careful um i think the last two that have gotten out have been uh, uh, where somebody uh you know and i'll give another little piece of advice here since we're talking about it if your animal won't walk off your trailer your little trap door in the front of your trailer is not the door to try to open to make them come off because that's where the last two, the last two animals or three that have gotten out in the, in their parking lot, uh, we were trying to, the people were unloading their cattle and we would be counting them coming off the trailer and turn around and you see the guy cause they weren't, instead of giving them a minute or trying to make them come off with through the slats in the top or the bottom, you turn around and the guy's got his trap door in the front open and here that here if one of them's just a little bit upset here they come mm-hmm. and it's too late you can't you know you well, you got that door open they just could run right over you and come right out it's, that's not safe don't ever don't do that it's funny. wherever you're trying to unload cattle don't do that it's funny you say that tom because the last load of calves i brought up here on the cph said day there was two on the last load where they would not come off the trailer and I opened that side door and went in there and got him off. And I got back out and shut the door. And I said, I said to myself, I shouldn't have done that. But it was, it's just so easy. It's an easy. But it's mis- easy. But yeah. I was thinking that they could have absolutely got by me. And there's not a, nothing I could have done about it. And then yep. they're out here in the parking lot. And yep. That's usually where they happen. That, that's, that's how the, la- the last three cattle that have gotten out in the parking lot, that's how it's happened. Side door. Somebody's yep. tried to go in that front trap door to make them get off. Because you've got two choices. If, if you get in there and they decide to turn on you, you've either got to take the whooping or let them out. <laughs> because there's nothing you can do to get out of the way because you're behind them. You're behind, you know, the only way out of that trailer is out back through that little side door or out the front of the trailer where you're trying to get them to go. So, yeah, it's not safe. Even if, even if you think you know your animal, sometimes that ride from home to the stockyard changes their temperament. So Absolutely. always be careful in that regard. Well, it's just it's fascinating. When I, when I think about all the moving parts here to where, you know, you, you pull through, you let them off the trailer – they, you know, go through a maze in here back to the, the, the scales where they get on. And you've got all these people, you know, you've got 
you and your dad back there doing the grading. And then you got these cowboys moving them to these pens. And you've got the ladies up here making lunch in the cafeteria. And you've got the ladies in the office. And it's just so many layers to this. Uh, and a lot of cogs in the machine of making it work. Where y- y'all have to be on the same page. Well, the thing is you have to trust that the people that you're working with know their job. You know, I'm a big believer in, you know, you do what you're doing and you can only worry about what's in front of you at the time. And I, all I can try to worry about when I'm back there weighing is, you know, what I'm doing. I can't be worried about what dad's thinking or what some of the guys in back have. They've got their own fires to put out, just like I've got mine. And if you try to micromanage things outside of what you're doing, that's how thing, That's how you make a mistake. So, you know, I've got to trust that Stephanie and the girls in the office are doing their job right. You know, I can't be looking over their shoulder. I've got to be willing to trust that they're doing their job right, and I've got to be willing to trust that what I can't see outside of the scale house there is going like it's supposed to. Because if I get worried about that, then I'll make a mistake. Sure. And that's that's the biggest thing is just, you know, you, if you do what you're supposed to do, you know, everybody knows their job, and like she said, the routine's the same. And, you know, the people are the same, nine, you know, that do the same jobs every week. So as long as you make sure what's in your box, you're, as long as you check your box, the next guy will be checking his box, and everything sort of goes pretty and smooth. I, I add to that. <clears throat> I add to this thing. We have got, I mean, we've got some great guys and great girls that work with, that know their job. And I think we have this conversation a lot. We are not micromanagers. Mr. Mark is not micromanager. Uh, he is, we do our job, and we move forward. You know, we know our job, and, and we communicate. Like, communication is key. I mean, we're all, I mean, we start, we were texting yesterday morning at 5 a.m. So, I think, um, and texting last night till 11. So, I think, you know, communication is key in this, on a normal Thursday, and everybody has their job, and everybody, you know, AJ and Tom and and Will and Neil and Owen and whoever, um, they know their job and they're good at it and they do it every week. And so unless there's a weak chain in the, you know, they're gone or they're not here or they're sick, that's when you start to notice a little shift. Mm. But for the most part, if everybody's here, we're running like a top. Well, and I've noticed over the years, it seems like the retention y'all have here as far as the help, I don't see a lot of turnover. It's always the same group of guys. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure there's a comfortability and a familiarity with that, that, uh, you know, mentally, it's just like you said. It makes things run. It makes things run smoother. It is. Like I said, we've got a great group of people that that like their love their job. We offer here. You know, we've got full time AJ. He kind of keeps it uh, while you know sometimes Tom's feeding hay or you know we farm as well um, as a family and woodlawn. And um, so when he's not here, you know, a lot of times I'm here day to day, and so. You know, AJ and some of the other guys, Luke, they'll keep it going pretty smooth, you know, when, when we need them to. So, um, they know their ins and their outs. But, that, yeah, we, we, try to, we, we try to treat them like we want to be treated. That's for sure. The golden rule. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from my perspective, again, I drop the animal off up here and I wait for the check. So the sale, Tom, you said, what, 2.30? That's when sale time starts? Roughly. You know, it depends on how many we take in. We don't yes. ever, I tell people, we don't ever start before 2.30. Okay. It can be after that if we've had a real busy day or uh, if we have a, you know, 
Love to sell bread cows. Ideal time is two thirty. <laughs> a lot, a lot of if we have a lot of bread cows, especially like a herd dispersal, and we're trying to get them sorted right before the sale, uh, that can put us a little behind that mark. But that's what we shoot for. As far as the buyers at a normal Thursday sale, not a dispersal sale, just a norm, normal Thursday sale, what's the ratio as far as the in-person buyers versus people on the phone? Mm, oh, good. wow, that's a good question. You know, um, I'd say it's probably... It changes week to week. It changes week, yeah, week to week. Um, most of them are here. You know, I'll do as much phone bidding as anybody for people that's not here, probably more than anybody, myself. You know, really, so, you know, besides me yesterday, there would have been, you know, it, it depends on, on our load lots, like the the semi-load lots of cattle that we sell, uh, of wean cattle, one-owner load lots. Um, I'm going to say it's a lot. You know, on that, on that lot, it could be, you know, almost every buyer here would be on, that was trying to buy that lot would be on the phone with somebody that may not be here. Almost everyone, everybody trying to, purchase that maybe on the phone for that lot but now a great auto graded sale i'd say 80 percent of the people are here and maybe 20 percent on the phone on the, good, on the out of the graded sale that's a good that's a good number i'd say on just the regular graded sale and i'd say out of the load lots almost a hundred percent would be on the phone mm-hmm. well see i'm i'm so naive in the fact that take a cph sale for example when the sale starts, I'm trying to look. I want to see who's bidding just out of nosiness more than anything. And I, people are so subtle about bidding. One guy will stick a finger up like yeah. this. You barely see He's kind of got to watch. But then I'm looking at Tom over there on the phone. I'm thinking, and again, I don't know how the ins and outs of this work. I'm thinking, he's got to be, I guess he's bidding for somebody. He is. Most the of the time, uh, you know, we, we background in feed cattle as well. But like he said, I would say, you know, if Tom's buying, if you see him buying, He's probably had six or seven people call him, and all of them wanting different things. So if he's bidding, you see him, and he's got to keep it straight. And that and that goes for like uh, just depends on who's sitting. All the ones sitting in the ring are typically not buying for just themselves. So if you've got each buyer is typically buying for at least one other person. You can say that to try to make that like for you to understand. If you see somebody bidding, and it, I'm saying at least one, there could be two or three they're buying for that day. Uh, very few of them, you know, your farmer, your farmers that are buying cows, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the feeder calf buyers. I would say at least they're all buying for at least one other person most of the time. That's interesting. I, I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. It, it, and if, Tom, if you're on the phone with somebody, but you got five or six people in mind potentially, are you just hopping back and forth on phone calls? Um, how, how if Well, that? no. I mean, generally, like if um, I sort of have an idea about, my, the people that I buy for kind of what they like and I know kind of who might want what certain kind of cattle or people might call and ask about something but if I'm going if I hadn't you know somebody hasn't called and asked about a certain thing and I'm calling asking the people that might buy some what they would want if I have a conflicting like if I have two people that want the same thing whoever I talk to first or whoever called me first is who I might take care of and I might go to somebody like my brother Matt or my, or my dad or Neil or Owen or somebody in the sale ring and say hey I need you to talk to this guy because he wants he might want these cattle but I've already got somebody that I prior have spoken with so you know we'll get everybody taken care of but no I wouldn't it, you don't want you know a conflict it's almost like a conflict of interest you know I, I don't ever like to have 
um, more than, you know, if I've got more than one, one person interested in the exact same thing, I just, you know, I, whoever was the first person to call me is who I take care of. And then the second person I say, well, I've already had somebody ask me about that. So here you talk to whoever. That makes sense. And tangibly, that looks like you on the phone with them listening to the auctioneer in one ear, and then you're on the phone saying, hey, it's up to this much, and you're relaying yeah, that to them. right. That is... And some of these people we never see. Like, mm-hmm. I never see... Um, I'm just, Some of these buyers, I couldn't tell you what they look like. They buy cattle, and they send a check. And you, I've never... I, we wouldn't know what, they're, what they look like. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. A lot of them I've never met in person. Just, But we talk on the phone like we've known each other our whole lives. Right. But if we actually met in person, it would be kind of awkward, probably, because we don't know. <laughs> we really don't know each other yeah. outside of just voices. Used to their voice. Yeah. So would they be probably in another state? Yes. And then they would. Which yeah. I, I think some of them will send a representative down here in their place to. I talked to so, one guy who bought some cases. I bought. I, I'm buying them for a guy up in Illinois. Yes. Most of the these people day. are. Most of these people are. You know, Tom can be sending them to Indiana, Illinois. Uh, Missouri, Kansas, I mean, Colorado, Nebraska. I think every buyer in here is sending them just different places. So, I mean, it's just I, I joke and say we can go to every state and find somebody we know. And it's just because we do phone, so much phone business for, from each, mm-hmm. you know. Is there is there an anomaly of someone from a state that was just doesn't happen very often, but it's happened once or twice, like, Alaska or Hawaii or something like that has that ever took place no it's not, you know it's usually sort of the not really uh I'm trying to think of a state that you don't hear much you know uh generally sort of just the feeding regions you'd hear about um Nebraska used to be I'm gonna tell you a state that we used to have a had a customer that was sent some to that, Michigan no. but it has been a long time or that I know of we used to have a guy that would send Bob he bought five weight heifers sent them to Michigan and that was probably one of the, you know, states that we don't see much out of that does get cattle at time. Michigan, we used to send some, used to get, guy used to get some out of here, go up there. It's been a long time, but that's a state we have sent some to that you might not think much about. But, they're pretty typical. You you're know. pretty, you're, you're Western feeding. If they're not being background around here. And, and you know, then, like she said, 80% of them are around, stay around here. Mm. 80% of the cattle or more that we sell that weigh under 600 pounds stay local. You know, I would say, you and, know, at least. And the ones, Within 100 miles. The, the other 20% that gets shipped out of here is, can you count on them mostly going north or northwest? Instead well, of like Texas, Oklahoma. Northwest. Northwest. Missouri. A lot of, you know, Missouri is a pretty good stopping point for you. There's backgrounders because that in that. Kansas. Kansas and Missouri, different places Iowa. like that most of the time. Uh, but, you know, like I said, most of the cattle, when you go back to our uh, sale yesterday, save the uh, save the slaughter cows and the load of cattle that we saw. The, we had a, a one owner load of 780-pound steers that had been preconditioned. If you took those out of it, I couldn't name you hardly any of our feeder cattle that didn't stay local. Within a hundred, within a hundred, within two hours. Well, slaughter cows. Mm-hmm. Where is the nearest processing facility they would go to? Um, there's, uh, you know, they uh, there's FPL. I think is in, uh, I think that's Florida. I think that in Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, uh, Plainwell, Michigan's got one. Uh, but there's nothing just real close. Uh, 
the and they all have at least a four or five hundred mile ride uh, to get where, and some of them more than that to get where they're going. Uh, there has been talk of one opening up a little closer, maybe than that, in, in you know maybe in the near future, maybe not not real close, but closer. But that it hasn't happened just yet. But. Well, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, I remember my dad talking. There used to be several in Nashville. There was some in Clarksville. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would it be advantageous for someone that I'm, the hoops you would have to jump through to, to get that done? But let's just say we had one in state. Would that be good for you know the the industry chain or not necessarily? I think it would be. You know, it wouldn't. I'm not going to say it would hurt. It's it would be very hard to get started uh because of all of the all the red tape and you know all the permits and all the money it would take to get started and then you've got to break into and and here's the thing competition is a competition can be a vicious cycle. You know the guys that you're going to be trying, you know, that's the reason the cattle market is where it is today because there's less of them to go around. And the new ones, especially, they will, you know, they will try to, you know, they will try to keep you from getting started. They would, there's nothing they like better than to see somebody try to fire up one of those. And then they just try to, they won't let them try to buy any animals. You know, they'll go to every sale you go to and go to make, you know, try to make it hard on you to get started. It's, you know. Kind of vindictive, it sounds yes, like. it can be. Yes, most certainly. Golly. It's not either. You know, that's a, the, the packing industry is definitely one that is uh every time you go up the vertical ladder of the cattle industry from the you know the cow calf deals pretty much if you can rent or own some land you can have some cows without much uh pushback but every time you go up the chain it gets a little harder to compete for what you're doing and when you get to that level it's it's not easy mm. it's it's an interesting deal all the way around stephanie i saw a light bulb come on in your head and then you backed away well, from the mic i, I think i have a little bit of different I have different perspective on on the opening the stuff like that, the regulations that we are under, especially with like BSE on that. Oh, those slaughter you have to keep them and you have to record certain things. And I mean, they take it very serious. If you're killing something over, uh, you know, eighteen thirty months of age, thirty months of age, that that's a different ballpark on the level of records because that's where your BSEs come from. Um, so. You know, if you were to say open up one, gosh, the amount of stuff that you would have to go through, you know, to to get approved a, and then the amount of money to hold that that kind of kill floor to hold that kind of animal, and the machinery and the stainless steel. You see what I'm saying? Like the it 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 would be an astronomical amount plus the regulations. And we couldn't really have a fat cattle plant around here because there's no fat. So you'd have to be talking about a cow plant. Yeah. Because that that we don't really have the fat cattle, I mean the those fat are cattle, that way. The fat cattle that are by fat cattle, I mean you know finished steers and heifers. Those that that like she said, you don't have to keep up with as long as you're less than thirty months. You don't have to keep up with all that. That's so like a lot less. People don't realize probably there are different plants, like the fat cattle and the cow. You know, the, there's they don't kill in the same. Floor. Is the thirty month deal due to the mad cow? Does it oh anything over thirty months? You mm. know the uh, the T bone versus the New York strip deal. Where right. BSE, yeah. Okay. You cannot have a you, you. They're not supposed to sell a piece of meat with any bone in meat, like a bone in ribeye or a T bone. 
those those cuts are all supposed to, if it has bone a bone inflate anything with bone in it like in the meat still when you buy it it's supposed to be from animal less than 30 months okay and and those 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 plants are different and so they have different regulations so it would be it would be pretty hard to get one most of your fat cattle around this area are being killed in small quantities in you know mom and pop smaller local kill floors and that they have really sprang up ever since covid mm-hmm. you know there's no shortage of them there's they have come up people have got into that you know the locally raised beef people that just go buy beef from their neighbor mm-hmm. to have it and take it home you know have the whole animal get it processed you know that the, there's lots of several of those have opened and uh you know they're taking care of a lot of those small you know orders stuff like that you know niche markets uh but a, a big plant like you're talking about like a you know american foods plant or a jbs something like that a big plant uh you'd have to ha- it have to be a cow plant so, around here you couldn't have a fat steer or heifer plant so the way it's set up now with them being trucked to florida i think maybe your dad told me south carolina yeah maybe. south carolinas yes that's right it works it works okay for yes for y'all, is what it's yes it's, it's not it's not bad it's 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 not it's not it's not terrible and uh you know i think i think we get our fair share of the market right here you know i think it's i think it's okay well along those lines as far as you know regulation and laws and whatnot uh stephanie y'all put out a video uh golly it was after the first of new year speaking on this potential electronic ear tag deal that the ncba was in support of now that was that's been a month or two ago, and I think from what I've heard now, it was it wasn't passed. But the EID tags, ear tags that you're supposed to have in your cows, why is that something that people should be aware and concerned about? Um, I, I think, and I, we try to stay off the opinions because everybody's got one, and so we like for everybody. Like I said in that video. You know, we were talking, we knew about this proposed policy a couple weeks before it started hitting, like, the mainstream ag news. And so, we were already against this policy. Um, And so, and I've had a lot of phone calls, and I've done a lot of emails on it, and just trying to explain it to people. So, this is a policy that was proposed by NCBA, National Cattle Beef Association, and they are located in Denver, Colorado, and they carry a lot of clout in Washington D.C. And that's good for the farmers. That's they're lobbyists. They're so yes, so. they can lobby. They're an association. They do a lot of your beef checkoff dollars, um, a lot of the cattlemen's a lot of policy and a lot of lobbying that that the farmers need come from groups and organizations like that. So Farm Bureau. Um, Livestock Marketing Association, who we're a part of out of Kansas City, they we have a heavy presence. They're fixing it. We're not going on this one, um, but they're going to DC in April again. Um, but so there's a lot of clout there within CBA. So when they propose a policy, and they have different divisions of their association, and and producers, and feedlot owners, and packing plant owners, they all sit on these boards. So. There is a different variety of views. Sometimes I think maybe not, uh, you know, not all views are there, but this policy that was proposed would say that all breeding-aged animals 
18 months of older, would be tagged with a EID, the 840 tags, by the end of 2024. And that was this year. And so then it also went to state all beef cattle would be tagged by the year 2026. And that kind of, we were like, whoa, hold on. So in this policy, it did not state mandatory. Um, it did not state voluntary. Um, we already, and I guess where people are confused, and, and if you're not just reading on it all the time, and it's not coming across your desk all the time, you really don't pay much attention to it. But we already, a lot of people don't know, if you bring a braid cow here right now, Dr. Corey Goodlett with Todd County Animal Clinic, who is our vet, they tag and, and the state, um, and they do it in Tennessee as well. We do it both places. Uh, they get an, if they're 18 months older and going back home, they get an EID tag, an 840 tag that we trace. Okay, so we scan, we have those, I have those records, we submit those records. I can take you right to them. Um, so we already have that, and people don't realize that when they, if they buy a bread cow at a herd sell out, or they buy a West Kentucky heifer, she's got an 840 tag that we have scanned. Okay, so we know where she's come from, those type things. So that we already have a voluntary program. So when this come out, it sent up a lot of red flags. Hey, well, we're already voluntary, so what does this mean? So we already got that. You know, there's a lot of gray area. Who's going who's gonna to keep up with the data? You know, who, do you want your information where everybody can get it? Um, is it going to be government run? Uh, who's going to have to buy the ear tags? That's going to be a cost. I mean, there's so much gray area. We were like, stop, let's everybody look at this. And so there was a lot of uproar. And there were several states that backed it. Those are going to be your western states. Most of in Florida. They, they were like a wild card. And Kentucky. And so that's where we were kind of like, and, and, and I don't think that a lot of the research had been done and, um, that's where we had a little problem. So um, it has since went. Um, it had a lot of lot of backing behind it. Had a lot of pushback on it. It has since went to it went to Orlando at the NCBA's convention, um, and thankfully, NCBA listened, which I knew they would. I mean, it's not you know it's not unheard of for them to just not listen, and they listened to to the producers, and they took out a lot of the gray area. Um, they took out the years, that, but they still have a policy. It's still out there. Um, they took out the years, um, but it, it's pretty much the same kind of where we're at. Do I think we're going to keep coming up against this? Yes, I do. Uh, tangibly, would it look like someone as a producer, for example, you know, me, if I wanted to bring a cull cow up here one day, I decided mm -hmm. to, she would need to have one of those yes. tags in her ear. Yes, that, and, and that, let me say by saying we don't want to we want you to form your own opinion on on these type of items and um there's nothing wrong with tagging we have tag sales now we tag animals we tag some of our animals it's voluntary that's up to you you have to purchase the tag you know um if you want to if you want to do the cph so you know too well you you do the cph so you have to purchase the tag um to me they kept throwing out the traceability and this was not about traceability I can, I, I can trace one right now. I mean, you can ask Tom. He can trace one. Um, if it needs to be traced, we trace them. We trace animals every day. If if one calls and says, hey, it's got a problem, we can typically trace. Um, this, to me, was a little bit more overreach. Would you say the same, Tom? I think, and to, your was, point on, to your point on... Um, your your slaughter cow right now 
the USDA has a the USDA has a rule where a, a slaughter cow is sort of exempt at this time because they have a USDA back tag. They can travel on that back tag as a, so the cow, a, sla, a cow that is going direct to slaughter or when they leave this facility is going to slaughter is is that back tag is a USDA back tag. They can travel with that identification at this time. Um, I, that was not in there. I didn't get that far into it. I did not read if that was, um, still going to be the case and it may not have been, um, I didn't really ever get a chance to ask. And that, that's one set of animals that I really think you would really be doing the producers a disservice to have to doing that extra handling too. Cause I mean, very few cow. I mean, don't worry. There's probably fifty or sixty percent of them that are here just because they may be a little older or open. But I'd say at least twenty or thirty percent of them made the ride because they were unruly, and that's not really an animal you want to have to be handling any more than you have to. Especially putting them in a chute to put an ear tag in their ear that really is when you can put a tag on their back. We put a tag on their back and it's working just fine. So. So I think as a producer. You were asking how would that your herd would had according to this policy if it had been but it wasn't mandatory but it didn't say voluntary according to this policy they would like to see all of your mamas everything tagged by the end of 2024 any breeding age animal with an 840 tag and would this fall under more of a state or federal this was going to be a federal this was a federal deal. So that's that's where we were like, hold on, wait a minute. And to me, where do I see it going down the road was government regulation. Mm-hmm. That's where, and, I, and I, I'm not one of those to think, but if it's not mandatory and it's not voluntary stated in here, who's going to be keeping up with the tags? Who's going to be keeping up with the data? Why do you need to know how many cows Clint Grubbs has on his property. So I think this was just a producer. I, I, I see it hurting the producer more than what in an industry that they come out and said our cow herd, you know, what, two or three weeks ago, a month ago was the lowest it's been since sometime in the 1950s, 40s. So, and that was another article that come out. So I think in an in a industry that is already struggling to keep kids in, um, that we're going to have to feed people. Yet they continue to put more regulations. So that was where we were. You know, I think the the fact of the matter is, unless you're just not paying attention, there are powerful people out there, you know, as, as far as, you know, whatever their interest is, whether they're a politician or a business owner or whatever, that would like to see red meat production go away. I mean, I think that's just, that's just the way it is because when you look around at uh, – all the challenges that the the industry faces, it's it's not by by accident. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about just more overreach like that, well, I mean you have to you have to look at the other industries. You have to look at the the lamb and goat. You know, look at their they already having to have scrapey tags and regulations, and you have to get those, you know, tags from, you know, you can't just not tag your animals. We can't unload them here if they don't have a scrapey tag. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to look at the other industries and, and which way do you want the beef industry to go. And so, you know, the 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 hog industry, you got to look at the hog industry, and then you also have to look at the chicken, how much they're regulated. So that's where 
Uh, was this policy saying that's where we're at? No. But if we already have a policy, why do we need another policy? And then if you continue to allow a policy without any pushback, are they just going to slide it in there mandatory? So, I mean, am I for ID? I'm not against it. I'm not against it, but I think we've got a lot of gray area we need to work out before we hop on board or something. But tangibly, it could look like you can't unload your if, – if it were to go through and they enforced it upon everybody, you potentially couldn't unload your cattle here unless they've got this ear I mean, that's something that we were talking about. And I think it, w- it would just that, – that's part of the reason the livestock markets have sort of been – it's like, you know, we had years ago when after the first mad cow, we had, you know, the Japan, Japan was a big one of our, and still is one of our biggest uh, trade partners. And they were not gonna, they wanted to have the cattle guaranteed under 24 months of age or less. And that was the first that we had the scanner out here. We had probably, I don't know how many years in a row, the CPH sale was a source and age verified sale. I mean, you could buy a load of cattle here and get your certificates printed with all the dates and everything you needed to say that load of cattle could be verified, source and age verified to go. But, you know, as everybody figured out that, you know, nobody was paying, they all want, it's like anything else, you're not paying for it. You know, they want it, but at the end of time, when this beef started costing this and this over here was costing this, you know, they kept, well, that looks the same. It's 20 cents cheaper. I'll just try this, keep trying some of this and this. And finally it got to the point where there was no, you know, they, the, that regulation sort of, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it didn't apply anymore. You know, they were, they began to accept what you might call mainstream beef again as, you know, after the fallout, you know, well, first time something happens, it's always the worst it's ever going to. Then everybody figures out it's not ever as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're going, it's like I've said before, if this traceability is supposed to be, it's supposed to be for trade and to protect our cattlemen, supposedly. Clint, I'll ask you, you're a smart person. If if we had every animal tagged from the baby calves to the elephants in this country, every one of them, and we came up with a case of mad cow disease or whatever they think we might have, do you think that Japan and China and all these other places, you think they would just not shut us down? They would shut us down as soon as they found out about it, and they would they would do the best they thing they could as they well they should if they had the chance to try to buy their product as cheap as they could as long as they could whether we had them identified or not. I truly believe that. So, you know, um, I don't see where it's going to help a lot uh, because of the technology we have to do it right now. To trade, like Stephanie said, to trace, you know, the way the word of mouth and the way people can find out where things travel. Um, it's We've already traced, no telling how many cases of typical and atypical BSE in this country and found it within just days. You get the positive test, you get the tag, within days, you they're traced back to the source. And, you know, uh, so we, we as, a, as, a, as a livestock market, we, we don't, I'm not saying it's, it, it can be a, a tool, but they need to figure out before they, because I'm going to tell you what they want to do. They want to just push it down our throat 
and make us be the enforcers and rule rulers of it and push it, make, put another job on us on sale day and say, well, yeah, you can sell them, but you know, you'd have to have a whole nother crew of people. And it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be one of the requirements for the system is supposed to be at the speed of commerce. Well, I can tell you what the speed of commerce is for me. Like you said, you pull through and unload your cow. And if there's no line, I can have you weighed in your weight ticket in your hand within about two minutes of you unloading that cow. Guess what? If you had to go through all this, that adds probably double or triple to it processes. So that's not the speed of commerce for me. You know, that's, that's not, that's not my speed of commerce. Which so, is a hardship on everybody right, working here. Right. So, you know, we're, you know, I, we're not, I don't think the livestock markets want to take it as we are trying to be, the people that are being hard to get along with, we just know that if we don't make sure and keep our name in the hat and hold people accountable for the for the language, that we will become the de facto enforcers and it'll be pushed down our throat to keep up with. And and not to add to that, that more more regulations on us, but the producer that we sell their cattle for, that's just an added expense to them. The tags. I mean, right now you've got three small kids, which you have to hire somebody. Is your dad going to come help you tag all these and keep records? Right. You see what I'm saying? Oh, exactly. And, yeah. But you're young, and you could do it by yourself. But what about the 75-year-old man that loves his cows, that don't have any help, that he gets his calves up, that's what he takes his family on vacation with, he don't have any help to tag. So there's the – you see what I'm and saying? And then he gets to the point where you know, I ain't fooling with this. I'm just going to yeah. sell them. I'm, I'm just going to sell them. I don't yeah. have any heirs. My kids don't But I love fooling them. with them, and my grandkids like doing it, you know. Right. Well, is there – is it coincidence that that is – could there be ulterior motives to – is going to push the little guy out that much more? Yeah, I mean, that that's that's come across our table. That's – Speculation, No, course, no, but. I mean, that's where we uh, – and we brought that to your attention, and I forgot how many – it was a percentage. They had a percentage of farmers in the state of Tennessee and Kentucky. This is just just rough, and they were both about the same. The mass majority only had thirty cows and had a job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, so guys, we're sitting here in our state, in both states. We are both states. We're dual states, so it's kind of we when we go to Kentucky meeting, we can speak on Tennessee. Like we can see what Tennessee does well and what Kentucky does well as far as regulations and and you know animal traceability and the state vets i mean i don't have a they're all good in their areas and but we can look at the producers and say you know your your state vet's doing a good job here with nyd and your state vet's doing a good job here but when we when we get to that point of your your producers only have 30 cows okay so are you going to push that small guy out that's got to, to he's got to buy the equipment, possibly get a wand. You're gonna have a laptop to hook up to it because you're gonna have to scan them. Do you see what I, that? Where does it lead? We don't know. That that's that's the thing. Yes, it's just a policy. Does it become mandatory that you've got to have a wand, the the scanner, um, a laptop to hook it up to, the spreadsheets for the 840 tags? Where does it end, and how much can one producer just say, "I'm done." I'm not going to do it. So then where does your beef numbers go now? You're worried about feeding everybody. In 2050, there's a big push about feeding everybody. So, you know, that that's kind of where we were with the policy. We're, we're, 
we're we're not against ID. It's it's there if you want to do it voluntarily, but we don't think we think that this was just a bigger push to maybe. It's just more intrusion the yeah. way I view it. Yeah. I you know once you give once that kind of thing gets enacted, it's not going anywhere. No. It's just going to get worse from there. Yeah, it's kind of where we were we were at and. Well, was it encouraging to see? I'm sure y'all had a lot. Well, you said you sent out a lot of emails, had a lot of dialogue with people about this. Was it encouraging to see people yes. voicing their concerns? Or yes, I, I think that's part of part of the problem. Or you know, that's the that's the reason people try to push for these kind of things because they're not thinking that the you know that ruling would have benefited maybe twenty percent of beef producers. And hurt 80%. But that 20% is the ones that, you know, they think they're the only ones paying attention or they think whatever. Uh, but once people, the word started getting out and the phone calls started coming in and the and the, and the the ta- votes got tallied, I think you, they started to figure out, hey, we better be careful here because, you know, we're, you know, the, the, that, it said NCBA, you know, sometimes I think it should be NFBA for National Feedlots Beef Association mm-hmm. instead of National Cattlemen's Beef Association because it seems to me like that's where some of the loyalties might lie a little bit more so than it should be. And, uh, you know, they have to realize sometimes where the, you know, who are we serving here? Who are we trying to, what are, who are we trying to do a good job for here? And, um, you know, the people... We have to realize standing here, I have a right. I have to speak for my producer that can't come. I have to speak. I have to be the person that stands in the gap for that 75-year-old man that doesn't think he should have to do that, that can't, that it's going to push him out. If I'm not willing to stand in there and speak for him, who's going to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, sometimes a few people that want to try to make rules for the a few that are in power want to try to make rules for the masses that they don't think are paying attention. And they once everybody started paying attention, I think they started figuring out that that may not be the route that, that the majority wanted to go. And that you know that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about what is the majority. That's it's not just what the few want. It's what is you know we're supposed to be a democracy that whoever votes the most is gets gets it. And, uh, you know, that I think when they, that if, if you were going to say that, especially in the Southeast, that the majority of cattle producers thought that a mandatory feeder cattle or, or animal identification was beneficiary to the cattle business, I think you would be incorrect. Mm. I think now, I, you know, I, you know, I, that's my opinion. And, and I say this to add, I, we are one industry. You know, and we have enough, the whole, whether you are a feedlot owner, whether you are a cow-calf producer, we, I go back to the drawing board and say, we are one industry that has a lot of regulations already. So to cause upheaval in our own industry where we're fighting against each other, uh, we need to be on the same page. So I feel like a little bit more unity across the board and that, that's, that I would like to see us, you know, unity. Now, uh, we already have enough, like you say, wanting to get rid of red meat. So instead of fighting with each other, we need to be fighting for what we love to do and instead of putting more regulations within ourselves. 
So um, it, that's where, you know, Tom's pretty heated on it. He is very opinionated on it. I am too. Um, and we're very hot-headed on it sometimes. But I think we all, at the end of the day, we got to come together for what's good for the group and the majority of the producers. And and I'm glad to say that this poly was, it was rewritten. So it was not voted that way. So nobody needs to worry about that. Um, they've took out a lot of dates. It is a pretty vague, it went from it's pretty vague now. So uh, it's pretty like the policy we have now. So um, So nobody needs to. You know, I had a lot of people like, well, what do I need to start buying or what do I need to start saving up for? I had a couple of young producers ask me that. That, And I'm like, nothing. You're Right now you're not, you know, because you have to buy the scanner, you have to buy the wand, you have to buy the laptop. You know, stuff that people don't necessarily have if they don't even have a working facility. So um, where the policy did not pass as, as written, um, they did come up with a policy. Like I said, it's very vague. So the years were taken out. So I think we're, we're good. When will they bring it up again? We won't know. Uh, who knows? The main thing is just paying attention, yep. which, you know, hats off to y'all for getting that out there. Because if I wouldn't have seen the video, I wouldn't have known anything about it. No. Uh, so that's what we have to do. And, you know, the power of social media and, and, you know, getting the word out there that way. It's a beautiful thing to see a bunch, bunch of people get mad and uprise yeah. against, uh, you know, overreach such yeah. as that. And then they, when an organization sees, it, oh, this might not be the best thing for us, and then change your mind. That's a beautiful thing. It is. It, it was... And we had the discussion, you know, Tom was, I said, he can't do this video. <laughs> he's, he's he's upset. And, um, you know, I talked to Mr. Mark, and, and he rightfully so. I'm not, I'm not downgrading. He's, he was, he's mad. And um, rightfully so. And I was, I didn't like it. Um, and Mr. Mark's like, we got to get it out that people's got to know, you know, that, how do we do it? And I was like, video on social media. So um, a lot of people thanked me for that. They didn't know what was going on. Um, and you have to you have to be touchy with, you know, some of that stuff. I want everybody to form their own opinion. I want you to read the policy and, and then tell me what you think. So, um, but with that, you probably had to read the old policy. So you had to know what we already had in place, what we were already doing to understand. Well, the wonderful thing about it is y'all have been in business for so long and you've built so many relationships and trust with people to where that's not a normal thing that you do putting out a video expressing this is what's happening where if you do it people are going to pay attention yeah that was the first one we've ever done because we're not we're not controversial like i said we're on the same team we need to, to ally together rally together um and so that was we talked about it i mean it was not something that and and like i said i did it as calm as i could and just to get the word out but um it's not something we've ever done. That's the only video that we've ever put out like that. But we thought at that time, you know, hey, it's going to vote next week. This is, it's crunch time. Like, they're, it's fixing a slide on the radar and nobody's going to know about it. Um, and, you know, like Mr. Mark, he is he is president of LMA. He goes out in June um, in Oklahoma City this year. But, you know, he's getting emails on it and he was already, you know, what are we going to do with it? Let me, let me read this to you. And, you know, so during the snow is when we, Really got the email. We were shut down that Thursday, and we set up here and powwowed on this policy. So um, it, it had been out since what? Jan first middle of January. I can't. Yeah, like the know, second week of January or something like that. I think it would have been, you know, and on, on NCBA's part, I think they maybe I, they maybe they did, and I didn't know it, but you know, a survey. You know, they send those magazines out. You know, send a survey out to your constituents before you print something like that. You know, that would be. Something they maybe could have done to get a, 
get a feel for the producer, you know, uh, how they members. would react, yeah. how they would, you know, how would you react to this? If it's something that, is this something that we need to, is this something that we need to just put right out there in front of everybody and say, this is what we think, you know, maybe feel your producers out, feel your constituents out, feel out the people that, you know, send that money in that, uh, that makes this organization run. See what, what's your opinion before 10 people decide that this is what we need to say. Unfortunately, it just doesn't always work. It should work that way. It should. But that's not, for whatever reason, a lot of things like to get pushed through without, uh, you know, getting the full story out there. So, y'all, we've been going over an hour. I'd kind of, you know, kind of end on this question. Where The beef industry, it's looking good right now. Right now, it's, it's looking good. You know, for the foreseeable future, I'm sure there's a lot of optimism to be had, but at the same time, it's if you if you get too comfortable and not paying attention, there is like we've talked about, there are people out there that'd love to see all this go away. Mm-hmm. So, wh- what do y'all see looming on the future as far as you know things to be optimistic about or things that we should really be paying extra attention to? Is there anything that immediately jumps out at you? I think I think I would always just tell somebody, you know, make the maximize the most out of what you do well. You know, uh, don't try to do something a lot different. You know, do what you you know. If you've got thirty cows, you know, don't think you have to try to buy twenty more cows if you don't have room for twenty more cows, because, you know, that's how you you know it, your feed costs go up. You, you're harder on your land. Everything you know. Don't worry about trying to add a lot to your plate in a time like this, just make sure what you're doing, you know, maximize it because it's a time for, it's a time for the the cattle are going to pay you more than they've been paying you in a while. And it's time to, you know, take advantage of that, but don't try to, don't push the boundaries of what you're good at and push the boundaries of your, of your um, facilities to the point where you're making it hard on the animals or hard on yourself. Resist the urge to be greedy. Yes. Essentially. Because, you know, we all remember, was that 2012, 13, 14, they right got high and yeah. people went out and bought all these bread heifers for, some people bought them, I remember, for $5,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. And then, which I un- completely understand the temptation in wanting to do so. But, you know, be be aware is what I hear you saying, Tom. Mm-hmm. Understand that that cow, no matter how hard you want her to, she's going to sell one calf a year. Mm-hmm. So you have to get... Do everything you can to make sure that that one calf she's going to sell that year is as profitable for you as possible. Sure. And, you know, don't try to get too far outside her box or your box. And, you know, just, you know, I mean, don't don't make it don't make it more complicated than it is trying to capture, you know, more re- more revenue than you you try need to try to capture because that's when, you know, that's when you make mistakes. And 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 you know, take advantage, you know, get that animal Decent size, you know, it's, it's where they're paying over $2 a pound for it right now. seems like no matter what size it is. So the bigger animal you bring to town, the more money you're going to get back. So, you know, take advantage of that. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think on the optimistic side, I enjoy this market uh, where you're getting your profits across the board. Um, Enjoy that side of it. Um, like he said, I'm not going to hit on that. Take care of the animal. But on the optimism side, you know, enjoy the market. They, they, if I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be sitting making millions somewhere. But 
they say in the next three to four years, because of the herd size, we're going to see those see these see some profit. I'm not going to say everything's going to be bringing two dollars. I'm I'm not one of them to to say that. Um, but on on the 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 side of caution here, I also go with watch who you're trading with. When cattle get high, uh, and we were speaking about a little bit of some some dealings um, that have happened before the podcast, but when cattle get high, know who you're dealing with. Know that check is good. See if they're bonded. Um, you know, that that's why we're here. Um, we make sure your check is good, where sometimes you hope we get all good checks, but in the past, things have happened. Um, so know that. Um, take care of your animals. You know, these activists are out hard. They are out everywhere. Um, feed them. Look at their conditions. You know, make sure, like like he said, don't put don't put 40 cows on 10 acres. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and, and that's just where I see looming. I see more of that. I see more, uh, you know, pushback on the industry, those type of things, our carbon footprint, you know, those type of things. So sustainability, they throw out sustainability at every meeting. Farmers have been sustaining land since the beginning of time. So we know what sustainability is. We just have to make sure we are doing our right practices, waterways, stuff like that. So, I look from the from the rule standpoint, where he looks from the the cow calf cat and the you know feeder cattle standpoint. So I guess that's what's looming. You know, just your activists are there riding the bicycle down the road. So I've had one before. So um, just keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, keep your fences good, and and it should be okay. Yeah. Yeah, great advice. Great <laughs> advice on on both. And you you said I was, you enjoy it. You know, I, it, enjoy it because it's it ain't gonna it's it ain't gonna be this way forever. No, nothing ever is. Oh. I mean, what market is grain? I mean, across the board, you can look at the futures and everything rides highs and lows. So, um, you know, we've been through it. You remember it? We've been through some highs. We've been through some lows. You have too. You're old enough. You know, we're old enough to have have ridden a little bit of a train, not maybe. A train like some of the older ones have, but you know we were just talking about high cattle back in the early twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So um, enjoy it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's 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 funny to think about. I remember the CPH sale January of 2009. We're talking about six weight steers bringing eighty five ninety cents. I'll never forget that. And then you know, of course, the big the, the get high in 2012, 13, 14. They you know they're high now. So it's just. It's part of it, mm-hmm. highs and lows of yeah. it. But uh, y'all, listen, I just greatly appreciate y'all's time coming on here to talk about this and telling more about what goes on here. You know, like I said, most people we just drop our cows off and get the check. We don't really understand the tremendous amount of work and communication that goes on here. And uh, you know, I'll just say we're the producers in this area. We're very fortunate to have the Barnett family uh, here advocating for us you know and and one little small thing that means the world to me y'all always have time for me oh well we if i've got a a silly question about something (laughs) or something i don't understand y'all always make time for me whether it be you stephanie or tom or mark or whoever they all just take time to answer my question and um you know that that's in short order nowadays I, what I, I think i think our family we love what we do from you know my little girl's three she's wanting to go to the stockyard my oldest nephew on on tom's side they can't wait to get out of school to get here i think all the brothers i think they we love what we do and we truly feel like our customers like 
each one of them come in that I get to talk to. And so, um, and Mr. Mark and them and Will and Tom and some of them may not, and Mr. John, they may not get to see you. They may be in the back, but maybe I get to see you or some of the girls in the office get to see you. And we really do appreciate it. Uh, where they bring us jam, they, you know, so <laughs> we get all kinds of treats from people, but we, we appreciate our customers as much as just a high to come in and talk to, you know, uh, drink a cup of coffee with us. So we enjoy that side of it too. We become lifelong friends with people. Um, and, and we really, really do love what we do. And last night we had uh, Mr. Tyler Simpson. I don't know if you saw my Facebook page. He sold his first calf out of mm. Buttercup. They're from Robertson County. Um, Mr. Jerry Adams, Pat Adams' grandson, and he wanted a picture with his first calf check. And I tried to buy it from him, but he wouldn't sell it to me. So, um, but he was happy with his, his money. But, you know, so we make lifelong friends. We enjoy it, this, this community and this industry, as much as the producers love it. So uh, that means a lot to us. But we enjoy what we do. And, you know, I try to make sure that every, you know, you don't always, you know, you do. I always try to make sure that I do the best I can on that day. You always feel, I always feel like every Thursday, try to make at the, on Friday, you feel like you had a good day the day before. Because, you know, you sometimes somebody in my position has to remember that while I do this, while we do this every week, my Stephanie and myself and my dad and everybody that works here, we have a sale every week. Somebody like Clint Grubbs or somebody else, somebody else, they loaded their calves up once a year. And, you know, that's their money. That's, that's their money. Mm-hmm. And I always have to understand that the burden of that falls. And I, and I, it's not something I take lightly because, you know, that person, you know, I don't, I, I that's the reason I hate to miss. You know, I hate to be gone. It just, I just, I hate, I just can't stand it to be gone on a sale day. I hate it because, you know, you always wonder in the, in the, in the, of not micro, you don't want to micromanage, but at the same time, you know that if you're not there, somebody might miss something that you might see or somebody might not know to call that person that might want to buy that pen of cattle that day. And you have to understand that, you know, it's just, Every week we go to a sale, we print a sheet with the pins with the cattle in them, and it's just like every week this, this, this. But understand that every week you have a different person's sometimes either annually or biannually salary in front of you, and they've entrusted you to take care of that for them. And that's not a responsibility that I take lightly, and it's one that, you know, I'm, you know, I, I feel honored to be given that opportunity to work for the, you know, the people in this area or, or the surrounding counties in Tennessee and Kentucky, both, you know, uh, I appreciate that. And, and it, and it does makes me feel good that people think that much of us to, to, to entrust us with that responsibility. Well, and, and just like you said, Tom, you're doing this, well, you got two sales a week, so it, it would be easy to become comfortable and lackadaisical in that. And then, I would have to remind myself, like you just said, you you being entrusted someone's year, well, longer than a year, if you however you want to look at it, their salary for what they've invested in, and that's a that's a heavy feeling, you know. I'm, but the fact that you sincerely, you know, some people don't mind missing a day at work. We don't miss like our whole married life. We may have missed the day we. Uh, our daughter's adopted the day we went to the hospital 
Did you come in, Sam? I was here. Yeah, he left. He left me in East Tennessee <laughs> in a hospital. <laughs> During COVID, he didn't want to leave, but he left. But he takes it that serious that he drove all the way home and then stayed for the sale and drove all the way back to me in East Tennessee in one day. So um, we do take it seriously. And, I mean, we don't miss. Like, we missed. We went on a family vacation. I planned it. I shouldn't have done it. But we went on a family vacation, and he had to leave early. We both left early, and we've never done that in, like, our 16, almost 16 years of marriage. So, when he says that, he means it. So, um, it does mean a lot to him, and we take it very seriously. Well, and we're fortunate, like like I'm just repeating myself, we're the producers in this area, Tennessee and Kentucky, this area, we're fortunate to have somebody on our side like that because I, there's other places that they're not that fortunate, you know. So, for me to y'all, I just greatly appreciate, I know I'm speaking for a lot of people, greatly appreciate uh, how well you treat us. Thank you. Uh well, y'all, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate getting us all this information out there, and thank y'all for everything that you do up here. Uh, anything else y'all want to add before we? All right. I'm good. All right, y'all. Well, hey, thanks again, and everybody, hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to tune in next week for another one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. 